that next Lord's Day, but um, we are going to read from Revelation chapter 17. If you were on the church Facebook, you'll know that what I want to do today is to speak on the subject of Rome's push for a one-world religion. And we're reading from the book of Revelation chapter 17, and we're going to read from verse 1. Revelation 17 and verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Amen. We know the Lord lad is blessing to the reign of his precious word afresh. Let's just unite together in a word of prayer. 
Our loving God and our gracious Father, we turn to Thee. We think of the mysteries that are contained in Thy Word. But, O God, we thank Thee that we have the revelation of God that gives us some insight into things to come. And we pray that even as we draw around Thy Word today, that Thou wouldst be pleased to bless and we please to speak. And, O God, that Thou wouldst give us insight even into the very days in which we live. For it is in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, we are um, marking the 31st of October tomorrow, which is Reformation today. This is Reformation Sunday. We think of when Martin Luther kneeled his 95 thesis to the church door in Wittenberg in Germany and was an act that really has marked the start of the Reformation and the start of Protestantism as it is. And from that act, there certainly was a great gospel movement that spread throughout Europe and then spread to the world. First of all, it went to the German territories, the different German kingdoms and electorates that were in those days. Then it went to Denmark, uh, to Norway, and to Sweden. Um, then to Poland, uh, although Poland was still uh, majority Roman Catholic, was a great influence of Protestantism in Poland. Then we think of the uh, Calvin. Istic Reformation starting there in Switzerland under John Calvin and then going to France and then to places like Holland and the Netherlands to Scotland and then England and Wales had their own peculiar form of Protestantism in the shape of Anglicanism and then like Poland, Ireland, uh, though remaining majority Roman Catholic had a Protestant minority as well, which tended to be Anglican uh, in this part of the world, uh, Presbyterian coming over from Scotland. And we think of how God began to work in a mighty way, so much so that the Roman Catholic Church became very afraid of what was taking place. So they launched a counter-reformation. And they, in many ways, uh, reformed what they were doing they began to get rid of many of the scandals that were infecting the church, and they launched this counter-reformation that moved um, in, in some ways in a small degree theologically, but more by force, by war, by torture. There was the launch of the Spanish Inquisition and so on, and by capturing territories and by um, bringing the nations back under the heel of Rome and Roman Catholic rulers, they sought to counter the Reformation. And that went on for a number of centuries. But then Protestant, through missionaries, began to spread again. It went to America as the colonies went to Australia, went to New Zealand, went to the... Um, uh, African nations as missionaries began to carry the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to different parts. And the, the counter-reformation was grinding to a halt. So Rome thought that they needed a different tactic. And in 1964, under Vatican II, uh, the Second Vatican Council, Pope John XXIII embraced ecumenism. 
and it was a desire to bring the churches together, professing churches. They felt that the um, uh, enemy and the um, violent method had not worked, so they thought we'll have a little bit of friendliness, and we'll make friends with what they now called their Protestant brethren, and their um, and they were going to bring them in uh, to a one-world church. And in the 1960s and the 1970s, there was a going forward of uh, ecumenism. Then, of late, there has been desire to uh, spread this. First of all, it was Anglicanism, Eastern Orthodoxy, um, and uh, the uh, rest of the Protestants were being brought together in the World Council of Churches. But latterly, um, they've been trying to encourage the Pentecostal churches in under the, the uh, one umbrella of the Church of Rome. The health and wealth, many of the great leaders of the health and wealth so-called gospel of today have gone and had their photograph taken with the Pope. And we think of the words in Proverbs 18 and 24, he, the man that hath friends, must show himself friendly. So despite the setbacks of ecumenism down the year, there has been this going forward, seeking to foster friendly relations with Orthodox, Anglicans, Lutherans, Reformed, Methodists, Baptists, Waldensians, Pentecostals, Charismatics, Cultists, and whoever you could name, they are trying to foster ongoing uh, relations with the different denominations. But the ecumenical desires of Rome have now advanced. Not only are they embracing uh, professing Christian churches and denominations, but now they are reaching out to the pagan religion. Rome has always been a syncretic uh, kind of a, a thing. They've always embraced paganism and brought paganism into its fold and especially on the mission field, they would bring some of the paganism of the local people into the church, and they would try and uh, bring the people in so that they were not so unfamiliar which, with what was going on. But in 1965, there was something called the Declaration on the Relationship of the Church and Non-Christian Religions. And deliberately and explicitly, now what Rome was saying we need to go for the common ground between all of the religions. We need to find the common things that bind us together. And of course, that's something that gels with the modern thought. The modern thought that is all religions are the same and that all religions are just a different manifestation of the same thing. And therefore, if we can get all the religions together, what a wonderful thing that will be. Well, Rome really is fostering that kind of a thought today. And we see that there is a push at the present time for that one world religion. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, as we look at God's word, and as we look at prophecy, we need to be able to see what is happening in our day and generation and we need to see what is taking place in the religious realm. We can begin to see the things unfolding as God has said in his precious word. So for a few minutes today, hopefully, we want to look 
at the desire of the Church of Rome for a one-world religion. And first of all, what I want to show you is the prophecy for a one-world religion. Now, we've read Revelation chapter 17, and it introduces us to a prophecy and to a vision given to the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. And in chapter, uh, verse 1 of this chapter, we read about uh, a whore, a wicked woman. And we find that in the book of Revelation, a woman is invariably a symbol of a church. For example, if you look in verse 1 there, he speaks about a woman who is a whore. But if you look at chapter 12, you turn back to chapter 12, and you look there, you will find that there is a woman who is, I wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. So that's a picture of the church of Christ. If you look at Revelation 21 and verse 2, we're told that I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the true bride of Christ. This is the church. Again, in Ephesians 5, the picture of the husband and the wife is taken as a representation of the relationship between Christ and his church. And again, the, pri the bride is a picture of the church of Christ. Well, if the bride is a picture, the chaste woman is a picture of the church of Christ, then the whore, the harlot here, is a picture of a false church. So we have here in this portion of Scripture a picture of a false church. God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, in the Bible, we find, if you were to look through the book of Revelation, you'll find that there's a false trinity. There is the uh, devil, there is the antichrist, and there is the false prophet. So the devil apes and copies what is the true, and the devil will put up a counterfeit to what is the true. And we have the satanic trinity. Now, is it any surprise then that there is a church that looks like the true, that seems like the true, but is in fact a false church? Notice the invitation, come hither. God says, come hither, come and see this. Take notice of this, come hither. I will show thee unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And then God, John goes on, to reveal some of the things that he shows us. And he says about this religion that it has a name on its forehead, a mystery name, mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So here is the Babylonish, Babylonish religion. Now, we think about the characteristics of this church here in the portion of Scripture and you will see, if you look at them, that they are very like the Church of Rome. And many commentators, and maybe some of you will uh, hold that it is the um, Church of Rome that has been spoken about here. You'll notice, for example, here that it is a worldwide religion. Because it says 
that it speaks, this will dominate, it speaks of peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Verse 15 of Genesis or Revelation chapter 17. So this has a universal authority. Now Rome today in many ways has a universal authority. There are places that Rome hasn't reached as yet. So there are those that say, well, this is the Church of Rome. There are other things that maybe point to the Church of Rome. If you look at verse 9, it says here, and here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, if you know anything about the city of Rome, you'll know that it sits on seven hills or seven mountains. Notice also when John identifies what the city is, if you look at verse 18, he says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now, what was the great city that reigned over the kings of the earth in the days of John? It's Rome. So people will say, well, this is Rome. And it is Rome. And Rome today is the representation of this false church. And I would say, you look again, look at verse 4. It says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. You think of the bishops and the archbishops and cardinals of the Church of Rome. They are decked in purple and scarlet and decked with gold. So again, we have uh, an indication of what kind of religion this is. But I want you to notice the name. It is Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I say that this is Rome. This is Roman Catholicism. But the Roman Catholicism that we have is just the latest representation of this Mystery Babylon religion that we have in this day and generation. And you need to go back to Genesis chapter 10 to discover the start of this mystery Babylon religion. Go back to Genesis chapter 10 and look at verse 8 of the chapter, Genesis chapter 10, and look at verse 8, and it says there, um, and Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. So here's a mention of a man called Nimrod who becomes a mighty one. Um, the actual Hebrew can be rendered here that he was a hunter of souls, a hunter before the Lord in verse 9, is a hunter of souls. And the name Nimrod actually means rebel. He's a rebel. And there's a rebellion taking place here. And it's a rebellion against God and a rebellion against true religion. And you'll notice where this religion is if you look at verse 10. And the beginning of this his kingdom was Babel and Iraq, to give it the modern rendering of that, and Akkad and Kalne, and the, in the land of Shiner. Iraq there is the modern from which we get Iraq. So there is it. And the name Babel there means confusion. And you'll remember what they went on then to do in Babel or Babel. 
And if you look at Genesis chapter 11 and verse 2, it says there, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto, the, unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, here they are, and they are going to build this tower. And if you look at your, if you've a good uh, Bible there, uh, whose top and the words may reach are in italics. They're not there. Whose top unto heaven. And what it really was is a top, probably with the signs of the zodiac, which was a place to worship the heavenlies, to worship the sun, to worship the moon, to worship the uh, bodies of the heavenlies. And this is what this religion was about, a Babylonish religion that takes place. And they build this temple, and God treats us what it is. It's rebellion against God. And you remember how God, if you look at verses 5D, it comes down and confounds the language of the people and then scatters them throughout the world. And then the Babylonian religion is taken right throughout the world at this time. Now, I want you to think not only about the beginning of the cult, but the expansion of this cult. You see, history will tell us that Nimrod, who is mentioned here, married a woman whose name was Samarimus. And knowing God's promise of a future savior in Genesis 3 and 15, Samarimus claimed that Tammuz, Tammuz, her first son, fulfilled the prophecy, that he was the Messiah that was to come. And she developed a religious system, this religious system, with the uh, heavenlies as the object of worship. And she uh, said that the great dragon, and you, you read about the great dragon in the book of Revelation, it's the devil, is the rightful lord of the universe. And that she would usurp then the place of God. And the marks of this religion, she said that um, they had statues of the mother and the child. That was part of this religion, and that was handed down through, um, it, it was variously manifested in different cultures as Venus or Diana or as Athena, um, in different parts as the religion went on. But it's all this mystery Babylon religion. And they worshiped the sun god. And you know that if you go into a chapel that the wafer is held in a sort of a, a sun, the little wafer, and then the sun rays around it. And all of the, um, the uh, parts of this worship, many of them have gone into what has become Roman Catholicism. How did it get in there? Well, you remember how that the Emperor Constantine, this went into Roman religion. This was, Roman religion was a form of this Babylonian mystery religion. It had just developed into Rome. And the Roman high priest of the Babylonian religion 
was uh, known uh, as the he was he was um, known as the Pontifex Maximus, and that's the title that the Pope now takes as the Pontifex Maximus. So that was a pagan coming from the pagan. Roman religion, which was the latest manifestation of Babylonian religion, he became the Pontifex Maximus. And all, as Constantine became a Christian, the Roman pagan priests, Christianity became the religion of the empire, but these pagan priests began to infiltrate their religion into Christianity. So we have the Feast of Ishtar, um, which has become Easter. Now, at Easter, we um, glorify the resurrection of Christ. But you think of the exchange of eggs. That, that comes from Babylonian religion. They used to wear a little Y symbol around their neck, which has sort of manifestation there's a little cross around their neck. They used to wear that as a, on a gold chain around their neck. That originated in the Babylonish mystery religion. And it's very interesting, when you look through the Bible, the manifestation of the... For example, the prophet Ezekiel was called by the Lord to the temple, and there were cultic practices taking place. And Ezekiel watched the woman of Israel mourning for the death of the pagan Tammuz. Who was Tammuz? He was the son of Nimrod and Samarimus. Goes back again to this religion, which has come in different forms down through the ages. Rome, as we say, is the latest form of this. But we don't... We, we, I, I think that this will develop. It will um, expand... And as we say, uh, the Pope, that Rome wants to be the head of a world religion, and it's bringing all the religions under the sway of its power and, and its headship. And uh, on the 7th of January 2016, the Pope released a YouTube video that calls for dialogue of faith and calling people of all faith children of God, and he wants all religions to be united together, and as it were, they were saying they worshipped the same God. So there is this development of the world, uh, one world religion. The, we, we see something of the prophecy of one world religion, and I had to cut that short a little bit, but I want to think about the push for a one world religion. How is this being manifested today as we speak? Well, uh, on October the 7th, just uh, the beginning of this month, the Pope and the Egyptian Sikh uh, uh, Ahmed Al-Tayeb, the grand imam of Al-Azhar, met with other religious and political leaders in front of the Colosseum in Rome. And this was a follow-up to a document that had been signed early in the year, in the 4th of, or on, in, sorry, in 2019, the 4th of February 2019 in Abu Dhabi, called the document of human fraternity. 
and it was signed by the Pope and by the Muslim Grand Imam. And now they are trying to deny, well, they, the Muslims are denying that this is the formation of what is called an Abrahamic faith. Many of the newspapers and others are saying, well, this is the formation of an Abrahamic faith. The Muslims are denying this. And in their, the way that they go on in their, um, the policy of Rome is to make friend relations and so on. So they have gone along with the denials that this is the step towards a one-world religion. But make no mistake that that is Rome's desire. And as evidence of that, at the very present time, I'm, I'm not sure when it's going to open or if it, even it has been, it's supposed to be open this year. Did you know that there is a one-world religion headquarters that is to be opened this year, and it is called the Abrahamic family house. And it has been built in the island, uh, middle of an island in Abu Dhabi. And the headquarters, uh, uh, this has been done in collaboration with the Pope and the Sunni Muslim leader, Sheikh Amin al-Tahib. And uh, we uh, recognize there's going to be three places. Um, one is uh, a mosque. The other is to be a Christian place of worship. And the third one is to be a synagogue. And they're going to open these three buildings. are going to sit on this island. And it's going to be called the One World Religion Headquarters. And all of that came from the time that Pope Benedict seemed to criticize uh, the Muslims. And he was sent a letter from uh, some of the Muslims in Jordan, uh, Prince Gehazi ben Muhammad ben Talal of the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. And they said, let's just get together and begin to talk. And so all of these agreements and this uh, one world religion headquarters have come out of this getting together. But it's not just um, with what are called the Abrahamic faiths. Um, we think of how the Vatican has just released a statement for the Hindu festival of Diwali. Diwali will take place on the 4th of November. And it condemns religious violence, but it's, it goes on, we as believers, not to give into pessimism, but rather stay united and act as examples. This is to the Hindus. To act as examples for others to emulate, may we Christians and Hindus join hands with those of other religious traditions and people of goodwill, promote individually and collectively the spirit of conviviality and co-responsibility to transform this world into a secure home for everyone to live in with peace and joy. And you notice there, the Hindus with their 300 gods, he refers to them as fellow believers. He says, we as believers. May this year, Pope Francis welcomed a delegation of Buddhist leaders from Mongolia on their first visit to the Vatican. And accompanying was the uh, uh, apostolic prefect of Ulaanbaatar, Monsignor Giorgio Mar Ingo. And the Pope referred to Jesus and Buddha, uh, Buddha as, as, and I quote, the first builders 
of peace and promoters of non-violence. So he's putting the two together. And you can see the attempts that are being made to bring contact together. And I'm going to have to uh, bring this to a close. But I, I want you to see that there is certainly a desire amongst Rome to have this one world religion. The 12th of July this year, the Pope issued a statement on the 50th anniversary of the Commission for Catholic Pentecostal Dialogue. And he said that through dialogue and reflection, commission members have built, and I quote, bonds of friendship, solidarity, and mutual understanding between Catholics and Pentecostals. He said, and I quote again, it is my hope that this important anniversary will strengthen these bonds and renew your zeal to proclaim as missionary disciples the joy of the gospel in the ecclesial community and in society as a whole. Um, from the 8th to the 14th of July, uh, American de delegations of Pentecostals and Charismatics met with the Pope uh, at or Oral Roberts University, and there has been a continuation of theological, um, of theological exchange. Now, the, the, uh, the way that the room works is that it will change its definitions in order to sound evangelical. It will bring um, a statement, a joint statement. There's been joint Lutheran Roman Catholic statements. There have been other statements, uh, joint Anglican Roman Catholic statements. And the way that Rome works is that they use language, but their definition is not the same as our definition. So there's a kind of a fudge that takes place. But my people think that there's agreement. And as a result of that, many evangelicals are changing their minds about Roman Catholicism. And they think that Roman Catholicism is just another church. For example, there was um, a seminary in... Um, uh, well, let me go to the beginning. On the 20th September 2022, the National Catholic Register re magazine had a, a headline, Evangelicals are becoming more open to the Catholic Church. Here's why. That was the heading. I went on to tell about, um, it said, while deep theological differences exist, many Christians have found a way to live and work together and to be friends and brothers and Christ. And then it went on to speak about a Byzantine Roman Catholic priest. Now, a Byzantine Roman Catholic priest is a Roman Catholic priest who uses the Eastern Orthodox liturgy. Uh, that's a Byzantine Roman Catholic church. But he had, been, uh, he had been appointed as dean of students in Trinity School of Ministry in Ohio in the United States. Now, Trinity School of Ministry had been founded by evangelical Anglicans. Men like J.I. Packer and John Stott had been um, the ones who had been the uh, sort of patriarchs or the founders or behind this uh, new school. And they said that this priest uh, had been appointed to look after the welfare of students in this, what was an evangelical uh, seminary. And they were saying, well, 
the uh, dean or the, the president of this uh, seminary had been influenced by a Roman Catholic priest in his, uh, in his youth and had been mentored by a Roman Catholic priest in his youth. And therefore, he was open to Roman Catholicism and was willing then to appoint a Roman Catholic priest to mentor the students in this supposedly evangelical seminary. And there has been an acceptance more and more of, evangel or of Roman Catholicism among evangelicalism. You'll know that this year, uh, the Reverend Mark Stockman of Fitzroy Presbyterian Church went to meet the Pope in April. The president of the Boys Brigade, the Reverend Dares Johnson, met the Pope again this year. And you think of all of those things that are taking place. So we can see the push for the one world religion. Is it come yet? No, I don't think. So I think there is uh, a way to go. But you can see what is taking place in the background, how that Rome is pushing itself amongst evangelicals, pushed itself amongst Eastern Orthodox, among Lutherans, amongst Anglicans, amongst Hindus, amongst Buddhists, amongst, amongst Muslims. And you can see what is taking place if you have eyes to see. Well, what is the purport of all? What's the importance of all of these things? Well, Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 says, Watch therefore, for ye know not the hour your Lord doth come. And what we need to be as God's people is watchful. We need to have our eyes open to see what is taking place. We don't need to be afraid. We know that God, the Lord will, is the victor at the end of the day. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But nevertheless, we need to have our eyes open to what is taking place in this world. We know that the Bible is true. We can see when our eyes are opened how these things are happening all around us. We can see what is taking place. The evidences that God's word are true are all too plain to behold if you keep an eye on the news. Now, the ordinary news will not tell you these things. The, the uh, uh, BBC news or the ITV news or the Times or the, or the Belfast Telegraph or the Daily Telegraph or the Telegraph as it's called it, all these papers will not tell you these things. You may get it in a wee snippet somewhere in some of the better papers, but these things are unfolding. And we need to see that our God is in control of all things. Our God is sovereign. But how we need to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of God. The devil will want to get us taken in today, but we need to be steadfast and stand by what the Word of God says. May we be steadfast for our Savior in these days, and may we stand for the truth of God. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. We, our time's gone. We'll not have a closing hymn, but let's just... Uh, Think about these things. We bow before the Lord 
at the throne of grace. Let's rejoice in the fact that God's Word unfolds these things. We're able to see what has taken place, but oh, that we might be steadfast. That's what we need to pray, that God will enable us to stand in these evil days. Our, our, our gracious God and our loving Father in heaven, we come to Thee in our Savior's precious name. Lord, we do see the unfolding things that are taking place right even at this very present time. We thank, Lord, of that um, conference that was taking up place up in, uh, was it Port, Port, Port Rush or Sligo, whatever it was, but it's just going on at the present time with all of the bishops coming over and seeking to pr uh, promote ecumenism. And Lord, we recognize that we are in a fight and in a battle today. But Lord, help us to stand true to the old gospel, stand true to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, gracious God, help us to be faithful to Thee in these days. Bless us now, take us to our homes in safety, and be with us throughout this day. Bless Thy word tonight, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.